Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. For the world's 80 million Anglicans, there's to be a new Archbishop of Canterbury. Justin Welby is a really interesting appointment and in a number of ways a departure from the more traditional path to the position. He spent more than a decade working as an executive in the oil business and has only been a bishop for less than a year. He's 56 years old, replacing the outgoing Archbishop Rowan Williams. And Justin Welby will be walking into a lion's den of issues in this first week as Archbishop. So, who is he? How did he get there? And what can we expect from the incoming Archbishop of Canterbury? Joining us now from London is Ed Thornton, a journalist with the Church Times and a keen observer of church affairs. Ed, welcome to Open House. Thank you. Good to be with you. Great to have you with us. Give us a sketch of Justin Welby's background, Ed. It's been an unusual path, as I said, to the position of Archbishop of Canterbury. That's right. It has been an unusual path. I mean, he was born to a son of a German Jewish immigrant who apparently sold whiskey illegally during Prohibition in America. But his mother was very much an establishment figure. She was um, private secretary to Winston Churchill, and she was the niece of um, Rab Butler, um, a former conservative politician in England. Um, but, I mean, Justin Welby went to Eton, which is the very elite privileged school which our Prime Minister um, David Cameron went to. And that, that's attracted quite a lot of observations, if not criticism here. But I don't think his family were particularly wealthy by kind of Eton standards. Obviously wealthy enough to send him there, but um, I think he was perhaps not one of the sort of wealthiest students while he was at Eton. And his parents split up when he was only four, so you could say he was from a broken home and definitely had difficulties as a child. And went on, as I said, to work in the oil industry. That's right. I mean, he went to Cambridge University, to Trinity College, Cambridge. Um, that's where he really found his Christian faith. And subsequent to that, he did get a job um, for a French oil company, I believe. And I think he then went to another oil company and became group treasurer. So he's in quite a senior position. Yes. Definitely got to know the financial world very well and the business world more broadly. And you could say he's got perhaps a lot more worldly experience than other archbishops have had. Indeed. What was it that led him to that very significant step of leaving the corporate world, realising he had a calling to a religious vocation? Yes, well, I mean, if you go back to the early 80s, a key moment in his life was a real tragedy when his, his young daughter, who I think was just seven months old, she died in a car crash in Paris. That's while he was working there in the oil industry. Um, and he and his wife returned to London after that tragedy, um, it, was, it was their first child who died, and they attended Holy Trinity Brompton Church in London, which is, I don't know if you know it, it's, it's where the Alpha Course, the yes. big course, Introduction to Christianity, is where that began. Um, it's, it's one of the sort of biggest, perhaps richest churches in the country. And it seems while he and his wife were there, he really grew in his faith after this tragedy. And I think it was in about 1987, people say there was a visiting speaker from America. Not sure who, it could have been someone like John Wimber of the Vineyard Movement. And apparently when he heard the speaker, it just came to the front of his mind that now would be the time to seek ordained ministry. Um, but it wasn't that easy. The then Bishop of Kensington, who was um, looking at his application, apparently told him there's no place for you in the Church of England, which is sort of ironic yes. to what's happened now. Oh, no. And apparently the, the vicar of Holy Trinity Bronson, Sandy Miller, who was a very influential figure, um, helped steer his application through, and he was accepted um, to be a priest in the Church of England in about 1988, 89 um, and he then went on to study in Durham uh, theology and um, and then was ordained a priest, I think, in the sort of the early 90s. To us who are so far away, explain to us why someone would say that to him, that he didn't have a future in the Church of England. It may 
well have been because his his background um, perhaps wasn't the norm. You know, he'd he'd worked in the oil industry. Um, perhaps he didn't have a great deal of um, of church affairs. I mean, he did serve on the parochial church council of Holy Trinity Bromford, and sound like he was very involved. It, it may have been that his experience in the church was just in one tradition, really, in the evangelical tradition, um, and perhaps. I don't this is just speculation, perhaps, but perhaps the bishop at that time thought he needed a broader experience of different traditions within the church. Yes, he's an interesting mix. He comes from that evangelical wing of the church, but also embraces high church traditions and forms of worship. That's right. I mean, he was a member of the Cambridge Christian Union, which is known for being um, very much a conservative evangelical um, sort of group. And then he went to Holy Trinity Brompton, which is known very much for being a charismatic evangelical group. But he has said that he has embraced um, other forms of spirituality, like Ignatian spirituality. It's said that he has a Roman Catholic spiritual director, that he says the rule of St. Benedict most days. So as with a lot of people in the church, he started in one tradition, quite evangelical. And I think he still identifies himself as an evangelical and is proud of that tradition. But definitely his experience going up the ranks of the church has exposed him to different types of spirituality, which often happens. People encounter people of different traditions, and it, and it has an effect on them. And he's only been a bishop for less than a year. Now that is a fast track to become Archbishop of Canterbury. It certainly is. I mean, he was only came into being Bishop of Durham, um, I think, in November last year. And even then it was said that he hadn't, you know, it's a very senior bishopric. Usually people would have been a more junior bishop somewhere in the Church of England. So even that was a fast-tracking. He must have impressed as Dean of Liverpool, which was his job before for about four years, and as a canon at Coventry Cathedral. Um, I don't know if it matters so much that he hasn't had as much experience, because it's, it's very difficult to do anything to prepare someone for yes. the job of Archbishop of Canterbury. I think running a diocese as a bishop is, is very different to being the head of the Anglican Communion and this figurehead and the pressures that come with it. I think what would have impressed people most was his ability to run a big organisation, deal with finances, um, his reconciliation work he's carried out in different countries. Um, somebody says it's a good way of being conciliatory but also confronting the issues directly, which I think will be essential for him as the Archbishop. Um, and a key thing they brought in this time is interviewing candidates, which I don't think has happened before. So that would have given somebody with less experience on paper the chance to really excel in, in an interview setting and impress those who are selecting the next Archbishop. So he walks into this lion's den of two very significant and for the Church deeply divisive issues, same-sex marriage and women bishops. And that second issue, women bishops, will be determined this coming week. He supports them. He supports them very much, and he, he said he very much would like women to become bishops, and he's, um, he will definitely be, on Tuesday, when our General Synod at the Church of England votes on it, he will definitely be voting in favour of the legislation to allow women to become bishops. I expect him to make an intervention in the debate, which I'm sure will be keenly listened to. I wouldn't have been surprised if the selectors wanted to have him in place before the vote on women bishops, so that perhaps he can make a significant intervention which will perhaps swing some people in favour of voting for it. Where does he stand on same-sex marriage? Well, he hasn't said very much in the past about his position on same-sex marriage. At his press conference, when his appointment was announced last um, week, he said that he supported the Church of England's, I suppose, official position on same-sex marriage, which is that um, the government shouldn't redefine marriage as being between anything other than a man and a woman. Um, he also then added the caveat that he thinks we must listen to the experience of gay and lesbian people and the church must have no truck with homophobia. So that seemed to assure some of the pro-gay groups in the church somewhat 
And I think there's still some ambiguity about exactly where he stands. He also has very strong links with churches in Africa, particularly in Nigeria, where he spends a lot of time. And they're known for being virulently opposed to same-sex marriage and homosexuality in general. So some wonder if he is more conservative on the issue than perhaps he's let on. Um, But again, he's so good at reconciliation work, we'll see how he can keep those sides sort of talking. Yeah, he says admirably that I want the church to be a place where we can disagree in love. He's aiming to seek reconciliation on some of these more contentious issues. Is that possible, though, with the strength of emotions that surround some of these issues? I think it could be possible. It would be extremely difficult, and it's definitely something that Rowan Williams has found hard to achieve. Um, Justin Welby is a sort of different character though he, he really does have some deep friendships with people in the african church partly because he's risked his life to visit them in solidarity when they've you know been under persecution from from islamist groups and things like that so he comes with massive credibility and authority among those people and i think when he talks directly and says we need to disagree in love i think they'll listen they won't just think it's the sort of ramblings of a liberal bishop they don't trust it will be somebody they really trust as a brother in Christ and a friend, so he'll at least get a hearing, and I wonder if he'll be able to influence them to perhaps sometimes tone down their language, perhaps sometimes not make public statements that are unhelpful, Um, and on the other side, with with more liberal people in the church, maybe he'll he'll be able to bring those two sides together to actually talk. We'll see, it'll be extremely difficult, but I think if anyone is able to do it, I think it's Justin Welby. And just finally, his predecessor as Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, how will his term be judged, be seen? I think this term will be seen as a difficult time for the Anglican Communion worldwide where some of the divisions became more entrenched and um, breakaway groups formed and things like that. On the other hand, there's been a a lot of good work going on that perhaps hasn't received as much media attention, things like the Anglican Alliance for Relief and Development. He established the Fresh Expressions Movement of Church, which is, you know, new forms of church in the Church of England, which is bearing fruit. Um, and he, as a figure, had great, um, he's seen having great personal integrity and intellectual capability, and he was definitely listened to as a public intellectual, certainly in England and I think worldwide, and I think he will continue to be listened to in that way. Um, a great scholar and teacher and, and great man of God. So I think definitely a turbulent time for the Anglican Communion, but I think he comes out as a figure um, with, with great credibility. Ed Thornton, very much appreciate your time. Thanks very much for your insights into Church Affairs from the Church Times in London. Thanks, Ed. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.